you, Jesus. You may be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell you, we serve a God who is worthy. He is worthy. We could stay here and worship all day long, every day for the rest of our lives and never bring enough praise and never bring enough honor to his name because he is so worthy. Amen. Come on, church. Welcome to Calvary Tabernacle. Hope that you're making yourself at home here this morning. Uh, my name is Sam Wisdom. I'm the youth and children's pastor here at Calvary, and I have the honor of, of sharing with you what God has put on my heart today. And as always, I want to honor our pastors, Brother Billy and Sister Peggy. Thank you so much for the way that you lead and love this church. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share what God has put on my heart. Amen. We're in the book of Colossians chapter day, today, so if you would turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be reading in chapter 1. And as you're turning there, uh, let me tell you a little story. Uh, I've been a youth pastor now here at Calvary for 11 years almost. And uh, in that time, I've, I've had the, the privilege and the opportunity to see some of the kids who weren't even old enough for youth yet to grow up and come through our youth program and graduate and, and go to college. And some of them graduate college and, and now have been married and have kids of their own. And it's been fun to watch that happen in front of my eyes and just to walk with some of these students from the time of, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old up until now they're having children of their own. And uh, one, one thing, though, that I will say is, is sometimes these Teenagers, they can be a little brutal. Any, any, do you have any teenage parents here? <laughs> they can be kind of brutal. And I remember, you know, whenever I first started, I was at the ripe young age of 21 or 22 years old. And I remember, you know, the student, like we would play, I would play basketball, you know, the youth pastor, I'm trying to be relatable. I'm trying to, you know, build friendship and relationship with them. And so we'd be in the, the life center, you know, shooting some, some hoops. And, and I used to keep up with them a little bit better than I do now. Uh, age is, is not a, a super friendly thing uh, in, the, in regards of, you know, physical ability. And uh, Emily and I, we had just been recently married within the last couple of years and and have, have any of y'all noticed, those of you who've been married, have any of y'all noticed that marriage tends to um, give you a little bit of extra weight, right? Anybody notice that? No, just me. Okay. All right. It's just me. Never mind then. But I started to gain a little bit of weight and my students started to notice it, right? Like, Sam, you're, you're, you're letting yourself go, man. Like, I mean, well, well, thank you. I appreciate your 13-year-old opinion. Like, you're fantastic. Thank you so much. And, uh, and you know, they, they would poke fun at me and give me a hard time. And, uh, you know, you're slowing down, man. You're gaining a little bit of weight. You know, you're, you're getting that, what they call the dad bod, you know. And I would tell them this. I would, I would say two words. Just wait. Just wait. I'm playing the long game here. Just wait, right? 
Now, you know, I get the privilege of seeing them get out of high school and out of, out of you know, summer band where they sweat 10 pounds a day and, you know, summer workouts and all these kinds of things where their bodies are lean and trim. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're out of high school now and they're going into college and they don't have time all of a sudden to work out like they used to. Some of these athletic football guys that used to make fun of me. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? Hey, uh, you're, I see you're bulking up a little bit there. Have you, have you been in the gym? And they're like, man, come on. <laughs> I'm like, just wait. It gets a little worse. Just wait. And they get married and they have kids and now all of a sudden they're working and they're being at home with the kids and, and they're, you know. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? You're looking great. You're looking real good. <laughs> and they're like, dude, leave me alone. <laughs> I told them, I was like, man, I told you, I'm playing the long game here. You've had this coming for a long time. You've had this coming for years. And it's all in, in fun and just, you know, playful jesting. And... But here's the point I'm getting at. How many of you know that Sometimes change doesn't take place automatically. Sometimes it's a, a really slow process. Sometimes, and not just talking about change in your life, but change in your culture, change in the church, change in what you believe, the, these things just kind of seem to morph over time. And so I want to bring to you today a message from the first chapter of the book of Colossians where Paul addresses a church on this very issue that the church has been doing good. It's been rocking and rolling right along, but there's some things that have started to kind of creep in real slowly and real subtly. And so Paul addresses these issues within the church. Someone say, just wait, just wait, just wait. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can learn from it and that we can build our lives on it. And I pray today that you would speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's read Colossians chapter 1. And I know it's not the typical thing to come to church and read through a long portion of Scripture, but I'm not even sorry for it. We're going to read the whole chapter of Colossians chapter 1. Are you all ready for it? You ready? Here we go. They'll put it up on the screen for you as well. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Someone say faith in Christ Jesus. And we've heard of your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard, someone say first heard, the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. 
We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. And then Paul writes a poem. Paul the poet writes us a beautiful poem. And I'm going to take just a little bit of time this morning to kind of unpack just a little bit in this poem because it is good. Are you ready for it? Verse 15. Christ is the invisible, or Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Wow. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Y'all ever heard a secret before? Everybody kind of leans in. Hey, I got a secret for you. I got a secret. Everybody leans in. This is Paul. He's drawing them in. Here's the secret. You want to know the secret? Christ lives 
in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect or mature in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Someone say, that's good. That's good. So this right here is a, a letter from Paul. Whenever you're reading this book of Colossians, you're reading someone's mail. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae, a group of believers there in Colossae. Now, Paul had never been to Colossae. We have no record of him having ever gone. He didn't start the church in Colossae. He had never been there. But his friend and fellow minister Epaphras had, and Epaphras had, had come probably, Bible scholars believe, had come to Ephesus where Paul had started a church. He had given his life to Christ and gone back to Colossae, and he started ministering there, and people started saying, hey, I want to be saved too. Hey, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit too. Hey, I want to understand the things of God too. And so Epaphras, he started a church there in Colossae. Paul at this time, whenever he writes this letter, is in prison. He's in prison for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apparently that threatened some government rulers. And so they took Paul, they threw him in the slammer. And so his friend Epaphras comes to Paul with this report on how the church in Colossae is doing. And Paul feels that it's necessary to write a letter to that church to confront some things that have come up within the church. A couple of these things were this. At this time in Colossae, there was two religious groups that were attempting to infiltrate this brand new church with some of their ideas of who God was and how God works. And the, these two groups, one of them we, is called pagan mysticism. They started to try to bring some of their pagan Roman practices into the church and say, hey, this is the way you should worship. This is the way you should honor God with these pagan rituals, right? And the other group was the Jewish legalistic group. They were saying, hey, in order to honor God, you have to do what the old law, the old law of Moses tells us to do. You've got to be circumcised. You can't eat pigs. You've got, you've got to wash in a certain way and do all of these things in order to honor and worship God. And so Paul says, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I need you to know, church, that that's not the way to honor God. That's not the way to worship God. Because there was a man, and his name was Jesus and he came, the only son of God, stepped into our shoes as a human, walked this earth for 30 to 33-ish years, lived a sinless life, and then he, the perfect lamb of God, was the sacrifice for your stupidity. He took your, your, your junk to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He died on that cross. They took him down off the cross, his body with no breath in it, and put it in a tomb. But on the third day, that stone rolled away. And coming out of that tomb 
was the man, Jesus Christ. Paul says that changes everything. If you're going to worship God, you need to know how to do it this way. Because whenever Jesus came, the game changed. And he's saying this, we need to be very careful in our homes, in our churches, in our thoughts, within our own hearts, not to allow the things of this world and the ideas of this world to start kind of trying to drift us away, to pull us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. Someone say, that's good. That's good. So here's point number one I need you to know today. You can know Christ. You can know Jesus. One of the thoughts in this uh, pagan ritualistic idea that was trying to creep its way into the church at, at that time in Colossae was that there were certain individuals that God was giving special wisdom to. And so these individuals would come into the church and say, hey, I heard from God, and this is what God said. And the church was kind of just going along with it. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's like this, you want to know a secret? Like, you're following these people that claim to know the secrets of heaven. Do you want to know a secret? Here's the secret of heaven. The secret is that Christ lives in you. Can I, can I lovingly say this? If you are looking to a pastor for your salvation, you are looking in the wrong place. If you're looking to a parent for your salvation, you are looking in the wrong place. If you are looking at a religious idea as your source of salvation, you are looking in the wrong place. Paul says this, it is all found from start to finish, life and death, all, it's all found in one person, Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. He can live inside of you. Not just the spiritually elite, not just the, and, and see, church, I, I have, I, I want to say this, and I want to say this in a loving way, but there are Christian denominations all over the world that set up people in a hierarchy of having hearing from God. This guy right here hears from God the most and the clearest, and this guy right here, uh, he's second. In, can I tell you, that's not the way the church was supposed to be built, the truth is Christ can live inside of you. Come on. I encourage our youth all the time. You can come to church and you can hear a message and it will be great and it will be encouraging. But if you're not at home eating some of this bread for yourself, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you as an individual, you're missing out. You're missing out. Because I got a secret for you. Christ lives in you, not just your preacher. He lives in you, not just your Sunday school teacher. He lives in you. Christ in you. You can know Christ. I love how Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, 
verse 9, we just read a moment ago. He said, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. This is, Paul tells them what he's been praying. This is what he's been praying for the church in Colossae. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Wow. Let's stop right there for just a second. Paul says this, hey, I want and I pray that every single one of you in the church will have complete knowledge of the will of God. I don't know about you, but I've heard all of my life that we'll just never know the will. We may never know the will of God. My Bible says that Christ lives in me. The will of God is at work inside of me. Maybe I haven't heard the will of God because I haven't been listening for what God's will is for my life. I don't know if you've noticed or not, we've got a pretty big book right here. This book is thick and it's full of the will of God for your life. If you want to know the will of God for your life, you can find it all right here. He lives inside of you, and we, it boggles my mind that we as Americans, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm not trying to just, but it boggles my mind that we as the church in America, we take this book for granted, and we neglect it. Can, can we be honest? Can we be honest? We, I've been to places around the world where people will travel all night long through the darkness of night on foot to come to a, a building that has no air conditioner and it's hot and it's humid and it's dirty and they come with their families and with their children traveling all night long on foot to go to a building where there is church so that they can be with fellow believers, brothers and sisters and read and learn from this book together. They can come to worship God together. Come on, that's, that's the way it should be. We need to put a little bit more into this. Can I? We need to invest a little bit more of our lives, of our time, of our efforts, just to get into this book. It is good. It's a good book. It's a good book. Come on. I'm sorry. I'll calm down a little bit. <laughs> In the book of Colossians, Paul mentions, if you, if you read, we read through the first chapter. You can go home later today or this week and read through the next three chapters. It's only four chapters long. It's a really short book. But in these four chapters, Paul mentions knowledge, wisdom, understanding, or learning 40 times in these four chapters. What he's doing is saying this. You can understand the will of God for your life. You don't have to go to another person and ask them, well, I, I, can, can you help me figure out what God's will for my life is? Can you tell me what I should do? He's saying, no, listen, you can learn to know Jesus for yourself. You can learn to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit for yourself, and he will speak to you. He will guide you. He will lead you. Now, I'm not saying that, that church leadership is, is a a bad, I'm obviously, it's, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. What I am saying is this, we as a lot of times put too much stock in, in 
in hoping that God will speak to someone else for us. Whenever I was a teenager, we would go to youth camp, and I always we, we would go to the, the spirit-filled youth camps, <laughs> like we still do today. And and I would always hope that you know, in those times of worship, like God, please send someone to to pray with me, or please send someone with with a prophetic word. And and I remember as a kid being let down if if no one came and prayed for me or or whatever, just thinking like, wow, God, you don't see me or. And God spoke to me and he said, boy, I'm living inside of you. The word of God is already inside of you. Like you got to change your perspective. You got to change your mind about some of these things. I see you. I bought you. You are mine. Come on. I put my living word inside of you. Here's the secret. Christ is in me. Christ is in you. And he tells the church in Colossae, I want you all to know this. I want you all to have this understanding. I want you all to have this wisdom and knowledge that Christ lives in you. And the beautiful thing about this is that whenever we get in this word and we allow this word, should I say, to get inside of us, then our lives become more productive. (laughs) Have you ever felt like things just are not happening the way that you had hoped they would? (laughs) What I have come to find out well, let me tell you a little story. Uh, a couple of years ago, Emily and I decided that we were going to read through the Bible in 60 days. Um, as mentioned earlier, the Bible's a pretty big book. So that's a, a quite a bit amount of time every day who spent reading in the Word of God. But we had made up our minds, like, you know, we've read through the Bible before, and, you know, we've, we've studied certain portions of Scripture before, but we want to just challenge ourselves to read the Bible through in 60 days, just to give God more of our effort, more of our time, more of our focus. And and I want to I tell you a little story, but, but don't get carried away with this story, okay? I'll tell you what I mean by that in a second. But at this time that we had decided to do this, uh, our furniture in our living room was falling apart. And we we had two couches. One of them we bought on sale from a furniture store that was going out of business. The other couch was given to us as a gift from a friend. Uh, So it was a hand-me-down. And all of the furniture in our living room was, was mismatched and everything's kind of, you know, all the legs are wobbling. And and, uh, we, (laughs) one day I sat on the couch Again, I don't know if this goes back to the, you know, having been married thing. Uh, but I sat on the couch and I heard this big, Poof! I was like, that can't be good. <laughs> and I just, like, whenever it did that, I just kind of sunk down a little bit deeper in the couch. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. So we flipped the couch over, and I'm not a, a furniture. I've never built furniture. I don't know how to do upholstery. It's not my kind of thing. But, you know, you flip it over, and you got the really flimsy little sheet on the bottom. And I was, like, trying to rip that off and, and look up under there. And I noticed the board was broke, and a couple of these little spring things were, were, like, not where they were supposed to be. And I was like, oh, man. So I got some wood. I kind of fixed it, patched it up, and just kind of, like, tried to cram the springs back to where they were supposed to be and, you know, put everything back together and, and you know, flipped it back over and sat on it. And I was like, okay, good. You know, we can, we can go another year with this furniture now. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we had some, some guests over one evening. And they, I, I warned them. I tried to give them one. I was like, hey, this couch right here is super comfortable. But you sit in it at your own risk. 
If you don't want to fall through, then sit on this couch. They're like, oh, man. And so they sit down. We're doing good. We're having conversation. We're just enjoying one another's company. And and middle way through the conversation, all of a sudden this thing goes, and they just kind of like sink in. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. So embarrassed and so sorry. And so, you know, we get up and, I, you know, I tell them the story. You know, it, we didn't buy it. It came broken. <laughs> you know, uh, Anyways, Emily and I, for years, were like kind of helping this furniture along, you know, trying to get, you know, a little bit more use. Because I don't know how many of y'all have been furniture shopping lately. If you've been any shopping lately. But I don't know, furniture shop, my goodness, that's expensive. So anyways... Emily and I were like, we, we, we're going to have to do something. Like, we can't keep having people come over to our house and falling through our couch and having to explain. And, like, you know, I don't want a spring to, like, you know, pop up and, like, someone goes to the hospital. I don't know. So we're like, we're, we're going to have to do something about it. So we start shopping around, looking around, and we're looking at the prices. And we're like, oh, my goodness, like, I don't want to be spending money on that. Like, we've, we've got two couches. Like, we can make them work a little while longer, right? So we're, we're going through this. You know, should we get new furniture? Should we just kind of keep trying to repair this and hope no one gets hurt kind of thing? And at the same time, we're going through the word of God. And and let me tell you, I, I say this not to say that this is the way that the Bible works. But as we're going through the word of God, I'm noticing blessings are just happening all around us. And I'm like, you know, God, this is so generous of you. So kind of you. And, and they're coming from such unexpected places. And then we get a phone call from my sister-in-law. Uh, and she says, hey, I've got a coworker who's moving. And she's got to get rid of everything in her house. Like she's got to leave her house in, in 24 hours. She's, she's moving away. She doesn't have room for everything in the U-Haul truck. So uh, she said that she had a couple of couches. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, if you wouldn't mind, send us a picture. <laughs> you know, beggars can't be choosers, but we were being a little choosy, I guess. So she sent us these pictures. We look at them like, wow, these things, you know, on the phone, like, these things look brand new. Oh, my goodness. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take them. We'll take them. Of course we'll take them. And so we drive up to Texarkana and go to this house and this this woman is, is like, hey, are, are y'all here for the couches? We're like, yes, you know, thank you so much. She's like, okay. She's like, I'm so sorry, but I, like, I have got to go, like, in an hour. Can you, I will help you get all these loaded up, and then I've got to go. We're like, okay, yeah, great, thanks, you know. And so we, we go, we walk inside. These couches are brand new. They look like they have not been sit, sat on a day in their life. And I was like, oh, my, like, these are really nice couches. Too. Like, it, you know. They, they're sturdy. Like, we're not going to have to worry about the poof anymore. Like, this is good. So we load them up in this trailer, and we take them home. And I, I just remember thinking, God, you are incredible. Like, I've never known anybody to just be like, hey, you want a free couch? You want two? They're brand new. I got to get rid of them. <laughs> like, I, I got to leave 
here they are. Like, here, take them. Please get them out of my way. Like, they are in my way. Get them out. And I remember thinking, wow, like, this doesn't happen, does it? Like, is this everybody or is this? And I just remember being thankful. God, thank you so much. You are so kind. You are so generous. And and listen, again, I said, I meant to say, don't get carried away with this story. Because I'm not saying if you read the Bible, God's just going to give you new couches. It's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is this. You can know God, and the more time you spend getting to know him, it just seems to me like he just opens up blessing around you. Whenever your focus and your attention is on God, and I'm not just talking about material things either. I'm I'm talking about blessings in spiritual ways. I'm talking about whenever I get in the Word of God and I focus in the Word of God, it seems to be that students come to me and be like, hey, last night I couldn't go to sleep, so I just stayed up worshiping all night. And I'm like, thank you, God. Hey, hey, I remember I have students come back from, from years ago, and, you know, they're growing up and have kids now, and they come back like, hey, I remember this sermon you taught one time, and you said this, and, and you did this. I'm like, dude, I don't even remember that sermon. And they're like, dude, it just impacted my life so much. And I'm just like, wow, God, your blessings are coming from everywhere. Like, it's amazing what God can do and and where these things can come. They just seem to come out of nowhere whenever you give your attention and your focus on the Lord. Come on. Can I say this to you? You can know God. Here's what John says in John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, but if, this is, I'm sorry, this is not what John said. This is what John wrote. Jesus said it. Jesus said, but if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Listen, whenever you put your attention on God and you allow this word to get inside of you, can I tell you something? You're going to start seeing fruit in your lives. You're going to produce some good fruit. Not just a little bit either. It's going to be an abundance of fruit. Amen. Come on. So Paul, whenever he's speaking to the Colossians, he tells them this. Listen, the, the gospel, the word of God, it produces fruit everywhere it goes. If you get it inside of you, if you come to know Jesus Christ more and more, you're going to see a production of good fruit in your life. And you don't have to depend on anybody else. You don't have to depend on any other resource. You don't have to depend on any other vein of money or finances or, or any of these things. Whenever you put your hope in Jesus, you'll see that these things, they, they can come from anywhere. The fruit is just going to be produced. Here's point number two. So point number one is you can know Christ. Here's point number two. Christ is supreme. We're about to get into it. Are you all ready? So Paul writes a poem. He's a little bit of a writer in his own right. <laughs> writes this poem to the church in Colossae. <clears throat> it's five verses long. If you look down there at your Bible, it's, it's, it's the part that, that isn't as dense, <laughs> starting in verse 15 through verse 20. It's five verses long or six verses long. And in this short couple of verses, 
Paul completely dismantles these false religious ideologies that are trying to creep their way into the church in Colossae. In these short five verses, and how does he do it? How does he dismantle all of this bad teaching, this bad theology? He does it by talking about one person, Jesus. And he says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed, I'm reading from the NLT, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So Paul, as he's writing this poem, it's beautiful. He tells them this, if you want to know who you are, if you want to know what truth is, you have to know a man named Jesus. Not just know a, about his name or, you know, oh, hey, this is a Jewish guy that lived, you know, and he, they killed him and put him in a grave and his disciples say that he came back to life or whatever. Like, no, no, no. You need to know who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Bible scholars believe that this small portion of Scripture, these, these short five verses of Scripture right here, this poem that Paul writes, Bible scholars believe that it is the most clear and precise verbalization of who Jesus is in the entire Bible. They say it is the, Paul, with such like surgical precision, introduce, or reintroduces the church in Colossae to Christ in these five short, or uh, I'm sorry, yeah, five short verses, six short verses. And he says this, and it, to us it sounds kind of confusing, but are you ready? I'm going to read from the New King James Version now. Maybe some of you are reading that, or maybe the King James very close to it. Paul says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, here in America, whenever you hear the word firstborn, what's it, what, what does that mean? The firstborn. Like... Of course, in my family, the firstborn in, in, in my family was my oldest sister. She was the firstborn to my parents. In, in my immediate family here, I have my son Jack, who's seven years old. He is my firstborn son. Right? Whenever we hear the word firstborn, that's what we think. And so as Readers of an English Bible right here, we see that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And a lot of people have taken, this is the example I'm trying to get out of this. A lot of people have taken that and said, oh, look, Jesus was created by God. It says it right here in my Bible. He was the firstborn. So there was God and then there's Jesus. He was the firstborn of, of, of God, Right? But here's the thing, a lot of times we, we read our Bibles with an English mindset. We got to remember who the Bible was written by, who it was written to, the time that it was written, and the culture in which it was pinned in. That's important for us to know. I'm just going to throw that out there. So Paul is writing as a Jew. He's a Jewish person writing to a Gentile church, and he gives them a very Jewish interpretation of who God is or a Jewish description of who God is. He says that Jesus is the firstborn 
of all creation. Now, in Jewish culture, firstborn did not, in fact, mean the firstborn. I'll give you an example. If you were a Jewish family in the first century Israel, and you, you and your wife had a child and it was a girl, she is not considered your firstborn. Who is? The son, typically. But we see in the Bible that even that's not always the case because you have Jacob and Esau. Esau's the oldest brother, and so he was given the rights of a firstborn. But then Jacob came, and, and through a long chain of events, Jacob took that birthright, and he became the firstborn. Doesn't mean he was born first. It just means that he took the rights that a firstborn child, a firstborn son would have. So whenever Paul is writing Jesus is the firstborn, he's not saying, hey, Jesus was, was born from God. No, he tells us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And I'm reading from the NLT again. It says, and this is the, the idea that it's getting at, Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's what this title of firstborn means. In fact, if you uh, look through the Bible, a couple of examples, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God is speaking of Israel, and uh, he, he tells Moses to go and tell Pharaoh these words so that Pharaoh would let his people out of slavery. He says this, uh, God tells Moses, he says, then you will tell him, that's Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. But I thought, Jesus was, <laughs> again, it's metaphor. The Bible speaks a lot of times in poetic ways. Paul is writing a poem. He's using figurative language in a lot of places. He says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. It's the same idea that, that God was telling Moses to tell Pharaoh, that Israel was his son. In other words, the, the superior or the ones that were chosen those that were superior in rank and authority. And again, in uh, Psalm chapter 89, verse 27, God speaks of David, and he says this about David, I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. Now, we know that King David was not, in fact, God's firstborn son. David wasn't even Jesse's firstborn son, so we see the Bible speaks a lot of times in, in figure, with figurative language. And in Jewish culture, firstborn meant superior, supreme, having all rights and authorities. So whenever Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he's like, I need you to understand this. Christ is supreme in rank. Christ is supreme in authority. Christ is supreme with all dominion, with all power over all creation. Christ is supreme. He has all ownership, all legal right. He has the final word. There's no other rivals. There's no other equals in all creation. This is what, this is what Paul is saying whenever he uses that, that term right there. Jesus Christ is supreme. Supreme. And just in case, just so we don't muddy up the waters here, God did not create Jesus. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was who is 
Jesus. Jesus was with God at the beginning, and Jesus was God. God created everything through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing that was created was created. Jesus was there from the very beginning. Jesus is God. So I know sometimes we can get confused about some of the language the Bible uses. Hopefully this has helped clear that up a little bit. Jesus is God. He is supreme. And if you're going to understand who you are as a person, you need to know who Jesus is as a person. You need to know him. And you can know him. And here's the thing about him. He is supreme. And we skip down to verse 18. Paul says this to the church in Colossae. He says, Jesus is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning Supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Everything. Again, reading from the New Live, or from the uh, New King James Version, Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead; that in all things he may have the preeminence. So, what Paul does in these six verses of Scripture, he tells us that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation, so he has all rights to rule and be an authority over creation. And then he goes on to tell us that Jesus is also the firstborn from the dead. So this, y'all ready? So he's telling us this too. Jesus then has all right and authority over death. And through his blood that he shed on the cross, He redeemed us back to God. And there is nothing Satan can do about it. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus is supreme. This is why Paul thought it was important enough to write this to a church that he had never even visited before because If you don't know this, then you will start to allow these false ideas to start to creep in your mind. You'll start to allow the lies from the enemy to start to creep in to your mind. And you'll start looking at your problems and saying, man, I don't know if I can get through this. Oh, my goodness, this is huge. Like, oh, wow, this is going to be devastating. And we start to listen to all these thoughts and ideas that there is something or someone who is more supreme than who we know the truth says is supreme. You need to know who Jesus is. Here's why it's important for you. is because you need to know that you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to Satan. You don't belong to a religion. You don't belong to the United States of America. You don't belong to your family. You don't belong to the broken home that you grew up in. You don't belong to a government. You don't belong to a system of rules and regulations. Listen to me. You aren't owned by a divorce. You aren't owned by an addiction. You aren't owned by an illness. You aren't owned by your past mistakes. Money doesn't rule you. Your job doesn't rule you. Depression doesn't rule you. Cancer doesn't rule you. Listen, lost time doesn't rule you. Pain is not your master. Anxiety is not your master. Anger is not your master. Listen to me. You don't even belong to yourself. 
You belong to Christ Jesus. Come on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to another church in Corinth, and he says this in verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. Why? For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Who do you belong to, church? Come on, someone tell me, who do you belong to, church? He has all legal right and authority over your soul. Come on, church. Mmm. <laughs> mmm, mmm, mmm. A lot of us have this problem, though, that we tend to try to find satisfaction somewhere else outside of Christ. And we'll look to wealth or influence or fame or, or things or relationships to satisfy something in us that we feel is broken. Can I lovingly say to you today, if that's you, if that's what you've been doing, you've been looking all over the world to try to find something to bring you a sense of joy and peace, there is one man who can do that for you. And only one. Only one. And Paul tells us this. The beautiful thing about that is that he can live inside of you. Mm. So even when things do seem to be falling apart, you can still have that joy. Even when things are crumbling all around you because we live in a wicked world, you can still be at peace. Why? Because it's not what you get from around you. It's who's inside of you. Come on, church. And Jesus is supreme. Here's my last point, if the worship team would come on up. Point number three, don't drift from the gospel. Don't drift from the gospel. I want to show you all a picture real quick. Uh, have any of y'all ever been to this place? Any of y'all ever been there? Ever bought some shoes at Payless? In 2018, Payless did a social experiment and self-admittedly a prank on fashion influencers in America. It's pretty good. Y'all want to hear about it? <coughs> Payless, they rented out a space in a shopping mall, and they had a designer come in and completely renovate the space to look like a luxury brand store. And then they filled the store with normal Payless shoes. Can you put the next picture up there? They called this store... Palessi. Palessi. Look at that. <coughs> Completely redesigned this store. They hired models. They, they brought in camera crews. And then they sent out invitations to some of America's most famous fashion influencers. They told them, hey, come to this grand opening launch party for this luxury brand, Palessi. And these fashion influencers from all over America flew in to go to this grand opening. 
And while they were there, these camera crews that they had brought in asked them questions about the, the products and stuff. And here's some of the things they say. One guy said, it's just stunning, elegant, sophisticated. One woman said, I can tell it was made with, talking about a shoe, I can tell it was made with high-quality products. They put these shoes, the the normal, I mean, they they took them from another Payless store and put them in, in this store right here and marked them up some as much as 1,800% of their normal price. And Payless, they've got these cameras up and they're, you know, watching some of the stuff, you know, behind the scenes. And they're watching these people come in there. And then they start noticing people are getting these shoes and they're buying them. One pair of shoes sold for $645, a pair of tennis shoes. That across the mall at the real Payless store sells for $39.99. They bought them. And then as they're leaving the store and, and coming through the mall... They, the payless people with their camera crews, they stopped them and they were asking a question, you know, what do you think about your purchase? And they're like, oh, I'm excited. Like this is, you know, uh, Palessi is going to be the new, you know, Louis Vuitton, you know, whatever. <laughs> Gucci who? <laughs> we're all about Palessi. <laughs> and they were like, can we tell you something? These shoes came from Payless. Like that from that store, we took them and put them in Palessi. You've been duped. You've been had. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> what do you think now? And these, these influencers, they were stunned. They were shocked. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, are you serious? Like, they didn't know what to say. They were speechless. And I can imagine most of them were quite embarrassed. So Payless, they, they refunded all the money gave them the shoes, and also gave them an opportunity to help them market, pay less. And it, was a, it was a stunt. is what it was. But what it teaches us, or at least what I got from this, is that we can be just like those influencers. We can take something that's so simple and make it so incredibly complicated. And what Paul is telling to the church in Colossae is this. He's saying, don't drift away from the gospel. Don't drift away from the good news that Jesus saves. Not you, not me, not him or her. It's Jesus that saves. It's Jesus that can live inside of you. Can I lovingly say this to you? That, that, Have you noticed that sometimes the longer someone has been saved, the weirder they get? Has anyone else? Am I the only one that's noticed that? Like sometimes you have a conversation with someone that's been saved for a while, and you're just like, man, you're just weird. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know what happened. (laughs) It's because we have a bad habit of making something so simple be so complicated And we start to put rules and and framework and and we start to say, hey, listen, you should be doing this and you should be knowing this. And, And Paul is saying, just know Jesus. 
Just know the good news of the gospel. Don't be carried away by these other veins of thinking. Don't be carried away by these other ideas. And and don't let culture influence the truth. These shoes are $39.99, not $645. Don't let culture tell you otherwise. (laughs) That's what Paul is saying right here. The gospel is really simple. It's simple. Can I say this to you? Please don't complicate it. If you want to be saved, if you have not been saved, you want to be saved, you can do that right here and right now. And you don't have to have a pastor to come and pray for you. Come, can, can we be real? Can we be, can we be honest? The truth of the gospel, the secret of the gospel is this. Christ is in you. Christ can speak to you. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. He said, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Paul is saying this, the first time you heard the gospel, it transformed your life. And the gospel has the power to continue to transform your life. You don't have to make it complicated. You just need to know Jesus. And maybe if, (laughs) I might get in trouble. Maybe if you're thinking, wow, Pastor Sam, you're you're making this seem a little bit too simple. Maybe you're the the person that's been saved for too long. (laughs) Got a little bit of the weirdness. I mean, can we be real with each other? Paul addresses the church to remind them this. The simple gospel of Jesus Christ was true then and it's still true for us today. And so many of us Christians, now we, you, you can drive from here to Atlanta and see probably 40 different churches of all kinds of different denominations. Why? Because Christians can't even agree on anything. Paul says, don't make it complicated. Get to know Jesus. Get to, that, we're talking about theology here. Get to know Jesus, and it's that simple gospel, that, that day you first heard the gospel that changed your life. And he goes on to say this in verse 6. He says that the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Church, don't complicate it. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Don't complicate it. Can, can we be real this morning? If you feel like you've been far from God, you can come near him today. Don't complicate it. Don't, don't talk yourself out of it and say, well, Pastor Sam, if only you knew what I had been through, if you only knew what I had done, if you only knew the sin that I've, that, that I've, don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. You say, well, you know, I, I read in the Bible that, that Jesus healed people, but, you know, I'm not sure if that's still going on today. I don't know if God can still heal or, you know, my body may be too, don't complicate it. 
Well, I've been praying for my son or daughter, and, and I've been praying that God would grip their hearts, and, and my goodness, I, I, it's just exhausting. And, and I, don't complicate it. Just go to Jesus. Just go to, just know Jesus. And I want to invite you this, while we worship this morning, if you want to pray or if you want someone to pray with you, we're, I want to encourage you that as you pray, keep this in mind. Christ is supreme. He is supreme. He is the beginning of all creation. So it's under his rule and authority. He is the beginning of life after death. So your soul is under his rule and authority. Just give your life to Jesus. Don't complicate it. Just run to Jesus. Don't complicate it. Don't drift from the simple gospel that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus sets free. Allow him to move, to work, to speak in your life. Come on, church. He is the first in everything. We want to invite you to worship with us this morning. And I, I want to, I always send, whenever I preach to the youth or anybody, I always send them away with a, a little practical thing to do. So before we worship, I want to encourage you to do something this week. I want to encourage you to open your Bible to the book of Colossians. Again, it's four short verses. Just and I would encourage you to, to get a, a paper Bible. Open it up. Get a pen and some paper. Read it. Take notes on it. Highlight, underline, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And, and can I encourage you with the, Can I challenge you with this too? For, for just this little moment this week, can I encourage you, don't even pull out a devotional or don't even look up a commentary or, or any of these things. For, for just a moment, just look at the Word of God in its raw form and just say, Holy Spirit, you're living inside of me. I want you to reveal your Word to me. Instead of complicating it, instead of looking at what someone else has said about this portion of Scripture, just read it and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me through your word today? Let's worship this morning. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done in our lives. God, we thank you for the simple truth that Jesus saves. We thank you for the simple truth that Christ is supreme over everything. And Lord, I pray today that if there is anyone here that has any need, that has any uh, burden that has come with any weight on their shoulders, God, I pray that they wouldn't try to complicate things, but that you would just draw them to you. And Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them, that you would love on them, and that they would experience the wonderful presence of the God that is supreme over everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship this morning.